Coming up on the Kelly Contreras, hey, welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Contreras Show for Tuesday, October 20th. Controversy at the University of Ottawa. We'll catch up on what's going on with law professor Amir Adaran. But first, let's talk about one of the announcements that the government made yesterday. It is that um, government services will be made to be more convenient, reliable and accessible in the future. Hurrah, I say to that. I'm all I'm all in. Make them more accessible. Make them more convenient. Uh, It's a new action plan, and it'll save people time and money during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and beyond, they're hoping. And basically, they're going to try and digitize the way we access important information. In fact, one of the things they're trying to do is starting 2021, the government will consult the industry on how the province could introduce a secure digital identity for Ontarians by the end of the year next year. And it will allow uh, citizens to safely verify their identity online or in person. So this would allow you to, um, I guess, obtain important identity documents such as driver's licenses and health cards by developing what they call a digital identity. Now, I'm not really sure what a digital identity is. I mean, we we certainly have one on social media, although it's probably made up and really doesn't isn't in a lockstep of what your real life's like. Uh, it's your pretend life, your better self. But let's join. Uh, let's uh, bring David Shipley onto the conversation here. He, he's our 640 Toronto cybersecurity expert. David, welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, is this happening anywhere else? The fact that um, governments are starting to digitize important pieces of information like driver's licenses or health cards. I'm, I'm presuming this would be so you could put them in your Apple wallet or something like that. Exactly. Um, and so, but it is going to be a huge, huge win for security and privacy for Ontarians because, you know, the, the analogy of the driver's license is perfect because it is the one card you can pull out of your wallet in physical world and show someone and it is proof you are who you say you are. Um, and we don't have that level of certainty online. I mean, the old cartoon joke was on the internet, no one knows if you're a dog. But if you had a uh, cryptographically secure, so it's a verifiable piece of digital credential that's stored decentrally on your phone, that when you're accessing government services, you could simply authorize that service to read your ID, just like you could pass your physical driver's license card over the counter at Service Ontario, and it would establish trust and proof you are who you say you are, that will open up a whole host of government services um, that you can now trust, but also think about all the problems we've had with identity theft. You know, we've used the SIN, the social insurance number, as our digital proof of ID, which it was never designed for. It's not secure, and we now live with the consequences all over the place. With this new, hopefully secure, digital ID, um, we could really put a dent in uh, identity theft. Okay, I need you to break it down for people like me that aren't very tech savvy. What what do you mean by a digital ID? Is this is this like a, an encrypted code that would be um, only you know this is Kelly's code and this is unique to to me and no one else? H- how does a digital identity get uh, shaped? Exactly. Well, so you're, you're, you're pretty much spot on with that. I mean, when you look at it on your phone, it'll pop up and it'll look like a traditional driver's license with all those traditional details. But in the background, it is a um, mathematical code uniquely generated um, and stamped by the government and then passed over and stored securely in your phone like a digital wallet. And that that code can be read by authorized apps when you go to access online websites or services. Uh, and it can check that code and say, yep, that's Kelly, um, and and have that level of certainty. 
Mm, I can't be the only one that's slightly nervous about this. Why do you think this is um, more secure than, you know, typing in your your uh, SIN number? Well, first of all, the SIN number has been breached to the high heavens all over the place. Capital One, Equifax, the federal government. Um, the SIN number is not even remotely close to being private, and it's a plain text number. Um, and okay. Social engineer people out of that uh, nine-digit number really, really easily. Um, the the type of code we're talking about is um, something that would take computers hundreds of years to guess. Um, you know, even if they were trying to brute force it, so um, it can be made secure. And because mm. they're architecting it for the 21st century, as opposed to using something from the 1950s uh, in the 21st century, um, we'll be better off. Is it bulletproof? Is it absolutely perfect? No. Even Estonia, which was the first ones to have digital IDs. Estonia like, was? Estonia was. Uh, wow. And yeah, well, and, and because they embraced um, digital transformation to open up their economy and have reaped a huge host of benefits from that. Mm. Um, and believe it or not, they actually learned how to do that from New Brunswick. So there's always a New Brunswick connection. <laughs> <laughs> Is there always? All right. I'll, I'll trust you, our, our New Brunswickan. What, what, what do we call a New Brunswickan? Is, Is that right? New Brunswicker. New Brunswicker. Okay. I, well, I, I guess I've got Halloween on the brain because of Wiccan, you know. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you brought up the fact that it would take a computer ages to, to guess this, to crack your code. What if, you know, I guess, I guess the, the major problem I'm seeing right now is if it's going to take a computer that long to break the code, is there, is there a way that I could somehow lose it? Like I would a password, you know, within my memory bank, you know, that's, that's problematic. So, I mean, that's why having it have, this is exactly why government needs to run this kind of digital infrastructure, because even if you did lose it, your phone got uh, dropped in the lake on a nice summer day and we're able to vacation again, um, you could go back to Service Ontario and get a new one issued to you in person. Uh, for example. So we're never going to fully replace the need for physical verification and, and records and all things. But how do I prove it's me if everything's on my phone? <laughs> well, I imagine there'll be other ways of doing, right. uh, backing these things up. I don't, I don't think it'll be a complete replacement for um, having your birth certificate. Um, but having a digital copy of this that you can access and use when needed conveniently is a benefit. So we're not going to completely go paperless. Um, right. So I think you're still going to have archives and records and ways of proving you are who you are. Biometrics may be one way that they, they also um, augment that. But having that kind of infrastructure is what government should do. And then the private sector can build on that to improve the safety and trust for Canadians. And uh, Ontario, you know, depending on the extent to which they aggressively pursue and embrace this, will give itself a much needed economic boost in COVID times when we rely on digital. Yeah. Um, the province is going to release more details in the, the coming weeks and months. So we'll get a little bit more on, on that. But if you're giving it the thumbs up, then I'll trust that you're you know, you're a resident cybersecurity expert. You do tell us when things are kind of risky. So I'll take your uh, word for it that this could be a good move for the Ontario government. The only thing that I can see people would object to is if they get pulled over by the cops and they're not carrying their licenses on their digital wallet, some people might be hesitant to hand over their their um, phone to the cops. Yeah, I, I think... 
there there still should be a choice for people to have a physical ID. Um, and, I, and I don't think that this is meant to be a complete replacement for a physical ID, which works when the power is out. Um, so I don't think that's the intention. And then, and that will give us redundancy and resiliency and, and enhanced protection. People don't want to hand these over. We could also require that smartphone manufacturers can, you can pass your phone over to a, a, a law enforcement officer and the only thing it'll show is your digital ID. Um, okay. Ways that we could work around this. But, but to put your, your point into context, we're in such a dumpster fire of cybersecurity and cyber risk and private and identity theft right now that this is literally for me like a life preserver uh, for us like swim for it as fast as we can okay um there's a story i wanted to ask you about and it involves you know i was just brought up the fact that sometimes you can't remember passwords apple has blocked this widow it's just such a sad story from um honoring her husband's dying wish he contracted this uh, fatal disease and what he was doing was he was chronicling uh, his disease and his, you know, the end of his days uh, on his Apple products, which they both shared, in fact. And she's forgotten the password. And his dying wish was that she would write the book and she can't get into it. And now the tech giant is demanding that she jumps through complicated, expensive legal hoops in order to satisfy what is essentially, I think, an American law that was created in 1984 or something strange like that. And she is the executor of his will. She's the sole beneficiary. It's not enough that she's already shown that and she's given over the death certificate. Apple's not giving her the access to online material because she forgot the password. Can you uh, give us some insight on what you do in this situation? So I've actually had to live through this and deal with this when I ran security for the University of Brunswick because we would issue email addresses out to faculty, staff, students, and we had a faculty member pass away, and his family was the executors and the control of his estate. And um, because our email address was used to reset the password on his Apple account, um, which enabled his family to get access to all the devices, you know, we were able to you know establish proof. They provided the court documents to us, and we were able to execute it in Canada. Um, and deal with it. But it's, it's still a lot of uh, paperwork even with that. When you're dealing directly with these tech giants, and keep in mind, most of them don't charge for their services. So think Facebook and Google. They don't care. Um, and they're looking to cover their legal liability as applied to U.S. law, which if you read the terms of service, uh, unless you're a citizen of the European Union, it's California law that applies. And in, it doesn't matter if it's outdated California law. That's the way it goes. So they are atrocious to deal with. It's incredibly expensive um, to, to try and deal with these things. And it's why I encourage people to have a digital will. And so as part of their um, process for preparing for death is to make sure that they've um, entrusted to someone they trust, their lawyer or family member, some of their key passwords. Um, really? Apple accounts. Well, it, it's the only way to... Um, to ensure if there are things you want in those digital repositories um, to, to live on after you die, um, don't rely on Apple and Google to make that process um, secure or smooth for your family. You're going to have to take steps to do that. Right. And some of these, you know, uh, some of the, in some of these cases, it's all their photos. Yep. All their uh, you know, keepsakes, all their, it's just, it's a tragedy. It, it absolutely is. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's part of planning for our digital afterlife, which seems really weird to say that. And, and uh, but it's a thing now, right? I mean, Facebook will have more dead users than alive users um, in, in not that long of a, of a future. Um, yeah, I had a I had a friend who's uh, who who passed away, and his wife was using his social media account for a while. It was just weird. Yeah, no, I mean, 
uh, we're in, in very tough uh, territory with this stuff. You know, some of these platforms do enable you to set up uh, controls. Like I will give uh, credit to Facebook, which is a rare thing for me these days. Um, but they do enable you to have someone be a trusted contact and who could take over your account in the event of your death. Um, and so, you know, but you have to set that up in advance. So if you okay. don't set these things up um, and inquire about them, ugh, your family is going to suffer a lot and it could take years to get sorted out. All right. So the takeaway is a digital will. David, I can't thank you enough for making sense of these headlines and really getting into the what this could mean for our futures. Thank you so much for joining us. You're always welcome and stay safe. Cheers. That's David Shipley, 640 Toronto cybersecurity expert and New Brunswicker. Are you comfortable with the idea of maybe your driver's license going digital, your health card going digital? I mean, you think about how uh, now you leave the house. It used to be, oh, crap, I left my wallet at home. Now you go, oh, ooh, I left my phone. And if you're me, you've got your phone and your wallet because I actually have nothing stored on my phone. I Yeah, you might want to call me a Luddite. I I probably am. I have nothing on that phone, Chris. I don't even have music on my phone because I kind of like my iPod. I like my music collection separate, but there are people that have everything on their phone. They really use their technology in the way that it's mm-hmm. been made to be used. And that's to simplify your life, to consolidate everything in one small space. I hate that idea because what if I lose the phone? That's the thing that sticks with me most. And here's the only thing that I can see as being problematic with um, an acceptance, a mass acceptance of your digital driver's license. I think some people would be hesitant hesitant to, to hand over their phone to a cop. 416-870-6400. Let's see how you feel about the idea that the government is going to make some of these services uh, digital for us. I, I like the idea myself, but I want to see what you think. 416-870-6400. Let's get your calls here on board. Um, by the way, more details are going to be coming in the uh, weeks ahead. So they've they've just announced that this is going to happen yesterday, but uh, full announcements will be coming. So we really don't know what everything is going to look like. But I guess it is time to get into the future to, you know, bring everything up to date with everything else we're doing. Uh, Brian and Grimsby, do you like this idea? Hey, Kelly, I'm kind of like you. I'm a Luddite. I'm, I don't online bank. I don't buy on Amazon. I'm, I like cash. I use debit. My wife's a bit more savvy. We're in our mid- Wait a minute. I got I to gotta stop you for a second. I'm not at any of those things you said. I bank online. I, use, I, oh. I always use my credit. I just well, no, I don't said- have everything in one place. Yes, I know. You just said you're a bit of a Luddite. I'm probably way yeah. more of a Luddite than you, but yeah. uh, I, I understand. Just a bit. Uh, but here's a, here's a little thing that even though I'm not techno-savvy, Last February, we were on our way to Florida just before COVID exploded. Uh, she put our boarding passes in her purse and spilled coffee on the barcode. Oh. Okay. We got there. We, we tried five or ten minutes to swipe them different ways. We tried drying them. Uh, we wouldn't have got on the plane. She happened to remember she had them backed up on her phone. And so the reader read the barcodes on her phone, and we got on a flight. And Amazing. With our friends, we would have missed it. So in that situation, I would never have thought of backing it up, but it saved our trip. So I get it, but I'm like you. I, you know, I, I'd like to live in a perfect world where it doesn't take 100 years for the computer to do it. But somewhere in Russia or, or you know, somewhere else, someone's working on ways to scam this already. And I'm, I'm weird having all of this on a phone. I'm like you. I have no music. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I'm off the grid. 
but yeah, suddenly I'm not. Get, like, I, yeah, I'm not exactly off the grid. I have to just because I, I do. I have social media presence. I mean, I have to have a social media presence. I don't check it very often. I, it, it drives me crazy. I appreciate the call, though. Hey, Robert in Toronto, I want to go to you. Oh, I, I need it because I'm a klutz. Um, I, I've lost my license twice this year. I try to be all um, great buying stuff on Amazon, like with this wallet you can't scan. So I have it in this. I have my license and personal card in this wallet. And then after yeah. I put it somewhere else. But I always have my phone on me, my alarm, check my messages. And again, I, I, I'm just coming back from Service Ontario and it's it's a mess and I, I get anxiety. So if I could just download it, no problem, or put it on my um, laptop or have my phone, that'd be great because I, I know I'm going to lose it again because I have to take time off work now mm-hmm. to go line up two hours before Service Ontario opens up and stand in my, it, it, it's, I think this is a great idea. I, I appreciate the call and I think it'll be split. I would love to hear from some women here because Robert, you brought up a, an interesting point and the, that's the fact that you, you know, have different things in different places. Women are famous for changing purses. Now I am not one of those women because I'm really low maintenance and I, I just didn't buy into the whole girly girl thing when I was growing up. So I don't have a bunch of purses. I mean, I have like a couple, but I usually, it's like a seasonal thing. Okay. Here's the winter purse. Here's the summer purse. Now it's a fanny pack. Cause it's COVID times. I never thought I'd rock a fanny pack. I didn't, I hideous, hideous. I know I am that woman now. Uh, it's so easy during the pandemic though. You got your gloves here. You got your mask there. You got your hand sanitizer here. But if you don't, you know, women, I want to know if this is going to make your life easier. Cause then you just, you change it over purses. You're not looking for wallets anymore. You've got your license. You've got your health card. You've got everything consolidated in your phone. Michael and Aurora, do you like this idea of a digital identity for Ontarians? No, I think it's a horrible idea because I don't think the government is capable of keeping our identity or anything safe online. And they're basically forcing it upon us. And it's not a coincidence. If you look up ID 2020, this is kind of planned. Okay. That's where I lose him. His tinfoil hat was getting in the way of the phone call. No, I kind of get that you're nervous about government keeping things secure. I think that's Mm -hmm. a valid point. But as David Chipley said, they already have problems with our SIN number. It's already out there. And that is something that the government, you know, is using. That's our identity number. And how many people have you given your SIN number to over the years? You think about that. So many people from employers to, you know, other people that needed your SIN number have it. So that's concerning when it comes to identity theft. Uh, I'm going to go to Chris in a second. Adam, if you just hang on with me, 416-870-6400. Chris, what's your thought here? You know, one of the things that uh, David Shipley brought up is that it should be when they do implement this, they should allow for hard copies to be used too for people who don't adapt to it and for situations where maybe, hey, the power or the some sort of connection yeah. has been lost. The one time I went to the grocery store thinking, it's okay, I've got my credit card on my phone, I don't need to bring my wallet, was the day that they, their credit card system went down and I had a cart full of groceries and no way to pay for it. So there needs you to be ran the really ability quick. to have a... <laughs> and that's the day I was incarcerated. Adam in Peterborough, welcome <laughs> to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. So uh, what do you think about this? You know, the province is going to go digital with digital health cards, digital licenses. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with it. I, I think, you know, people with like your attitude is just so old. You need to get what, on. What do you mean my attitude? Well, saying that you're afraid someone's going to hack into the system, someone's going to take it. Everything that you have right now. I didn't now is say that. System. I no, so I didn't say that at all. 
you're you're well, taking so you're, a listener. No, you're taking a listener's oh. opinion that uh, no. What I said is, I uh, I don't like having everything in one place because I Why not? I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose it. That's my problem. Well, you, you have everything in one place on your phone right now. I got pulled over for speeding one day, and I, I couldn't find my um, my insurance slip, but I had a picture yeah. of it on my phone. And the guy goes, well, although you have it, we can't really accept that. Well, why can't you accept it? It's yeah, that's weird. exactly what they're doing now. So, mm. you know, I think having everything there, it's all in the cloud anyhow. You lose your phone, you get a new phone, you download it onto your phone. Everything's there. Yeah, again. I wouldn't put that in the cloud. I don't know that we're going to be able to put it into the cloud because it's specially encrypted, but... Uh, I hear what you're saying. However, if you lose, I was talking to um, David Shipley about it, and he's pretty he's pretty good with making us aware that some things are risky. And he seems to think that this cyber identity would actually be a good thing, and it would be hard for uh, someone to hack into. One of the things he did say is, if you lost it, you'd probably have to line up anyway at a Ontario service um, kiosk to try and get a new identity number, which might be a bit of a headache. Definitely going to happen whether we want it to or not. Yeah. No, listen, I, I, I'm just saying I don't keep my music in one place because I like to have, I am a creature of habit. It's less about being nervous about being hacked. It's more about, I like my music collection to be kind of substantial and on one device. And I also don't want my computer to be slowed down, but I hear what you're saying. I, when I call myself a Luddite, but I'm not really, I just don't use things as effectively as I could. I'm more lazy. Hey, Kayla in Toronto, welcome to the show. Um, I'm, I'm for it, actually. I, uh, I recently just drove past a service Ontario and it was lined up the door. It's freezing mm-hmm. cold inside and I would really rather not have to have to deal with that. But, um, but like all my banking's online, like on my phone, I, I don't see it as an issue. Yeah. I've, I haven't gone into a bank in ages. I just don't do it unless I have to deposit a check. So I'm with right. you. I don't use cash anymore. I mean, I, it's weird. And I hardly even have room in my wallet. My husband's like, why is your cash all folded up like this? I'm like, well, look at my origami wallet. It's so I, tiny. And I, and I find like now I don't even carry a purse around anymore because I don't have to. And I love that. Are you rocking a fanny pack? I've been rocking a fanny pack since the 90s. <laughs> okay, so I'm all right. I'm in good company. I appreciate that. I, I actually ripped off the fanny pack that my husband used to use as a joke from the 90s, who every time we would get ready, he'd be packing for that trip away. Uh, he would come upstairs and go, hey, what do you think about this? Maybe I'll take this. And I go, absolutely not. As soon as the pandemic hit, I'm like, where's that fanny pack? And now I use it every day. Adele, welcome to the show. Hi. I, I, I think the idea is great. I agree with David Chipley, but from a technological standpoint, I don't think that the government is ready. I don't think that we've got the protections in place. And I know that we can encrypt a lot of, a lot of things, but the hackers are just as equally good at decrypting this stuff. So until mm-hmm. we can get to that point where we can control that, and we know if we've been hit, I think that the idea is great. I think it's coming but we are not ready today. And the other but couldn't they just, but are, here's an, uh, just a side to that or just like a poking a hole in that argument. Couldn't they just hack into a system and get our uh, information anyways? Because the government well, presumably the has our license. Absolutely. They do. You know, hacking happens all the time. We hear yeah. about it, you know, daily. But I think that this is far too important to put out there um, uh, that... We can, we can work toward doing that. But the other thing that bothers me about the government is that it's always lowest bid. 
so if we're going to go with encryption services and what have you not, I don't want the lowest bid on something that is going to identify me to anybody and everybody. You want the best bid. Hey, Troy and Barry, you don't want pe- people putting all their eggs into one basket. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, like suppose you go to another island and you lose your phone. Then and they don't have that kind of technology. They don't have what it takes for you to download all your stuff again. What do you do then? You know, it's okay when you're at home or, or within the air, or confines of Canada, but people travel. Everybody okay, yeah, but what happens if somebody phone. rips off your wallet then? Then you got a phone. So I'm saying that it is good to a certain <laughs> degree. Don't have it all. What if they got your phone and your wallet? Oh, bad things happen. You know, <laughs> steal the car. You know, but at least if you can have more than one way to verify who you are, it's better to only have one way. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I think David Chipley's right, Troy. I think what they do is probably still issue hard copies for a while until we all got wrapped our heads around the new technology. And, you know, we'd have a bit of both. But I think people would be uh, reticent to hand over that license uh, if it's attached to their phone. I don't think people want to hand over their phone willing to lead to the cops if they don't have to. Not that you're doing anything weird on your phone. Well, actually, let's face it. I know my audience. You guys are doing a lot of weird, freaky things on your phones, aren't you? The University of Ottawa, students are not so happy, especially the student union. They are condemning a letter signed by 34 professors at the school defending a colleague who was suspended for using the N-word in class. Now, let me add some perspective to this. Apparently, this is a part-time university uh, sociology professor, was suspended September 23rd after a Zoom lecture. And a student complained that she had used the N-word during the class as an example of a word that a community has reclaimed. And in response to her suspension, according to the CBC, uh, 34 professors in multiple departments signed a letter of support for her this past Friday. And they say that uh, the use of the term can be can offer educational value that a classroom is, uh, and that a classroom is uh, a place for debate. That's what the teachers are arguing. It's important that the university administrations while helping to uncover and abolish all forms of systemic racism, ensured that the transmission of knowledge, the development of critical thinking, and the academic freedom is protected. That's what the letter said. And there was a statement posted to social media where the student unions are calling uh, the professor's letter appalling. They're asking for the president of the uh, university to do something. And as it stands right now, uh, the University of Ottawa released a statement on... Monday morning, where they apologized for the uh, teacher using the term. And they, in fact, said the teacher apologized and invited students to discuss uh, its use, the term's use. Um, And they have offered the opportunity for kids to, uh, or students, to continue the class with a different instructor. But they're not going to outright ban the N-word Uh, because they said it's both a professor's right to freedom of expression and the student's right to dignity. They both have to coexist. They did note, though, that the professor could have used the N-word rather than the actual word, but chose not to and faced the consequences for her actions, which has been a suspension. All right, so I'd like to welcome onto the show, I guess that we've had uh, frequently about several different topics, but he happens to be a law professor at the University of Ottawa, also very outspoken about racism at the university. Uh, Amir Adaran, uh, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? 
I'm good. This is such a complicated story because um, it's very easy to see both sides. And I think that's where things become complex. Now, when did you first hear about this story? I heard about it over the weekend when I and others in the faculty of law were asked to sign a letter about it. And you can imagine that spoiled a quiet weekend for many people. Um, I did not sign the letter. Most of my colleagues did not. Um, I am not proud of the letter, and I'm certainly not proud of my colleagues who did sign it. But you're right. This is a complex question, and it is being reduced by both sides, I feel, into something very black and white, which really is not helpful. Um, it's nuanced. When can words that offend others be used? And I don't mean just the N-word, because there are plenty of other words that offend others. When can those words be used? It is not a simple question. So do you think that this this argument or this, uh, this teacher, the whole issue of using the N-word in class w- could have been um, avoided by her just saying the N-word as opposed to actually elongating and, and actually coming up and saying saying the word? Do you agree with that? Because I think it still would have caused some uh, fury. I think that the better way to have handled this, rather than omitting, omitting some consonants and a couple of vowels, is to have a discussion ahead of time with the class and ask, may I have permission to bring this word up? But the way I'm going to use it is one that expresses sympathy with students. I want, before using it, to be understood how it's going to be used. That would have been, in my view, the best way to proceed, for the professor to seek consent from her students of how they would discuss this topic. If the they would have I given consent, let me just, because I want to get to your reasoning in a sec, but if they would have given consent and someone complained later, would you have signed the letter in support of this teacher because at least they asked for consent? It would have depended how that unfolded. I mean, it's hard to speculate on a hypothetical, but my point is, is that education is a partnership. It's a partnership between the teacher and the student. Students to learn ultimately have to be happy with the way that they're taught. If they're not happy with the way they're taught, if it brings out in them feelings of anger rather than curiosity and open-mindedness, they're not likely to learn. But is that getting them ready for the real world? Yes, I think it is. Why? I think it is. Because we are trying in Canada to build a society that's inclusive. That is our real world. Mm-hmm. everyone knows that in the real world or even in universities, things happen that make one angry, make one feel alienated, make one mad at, at one's neighbors. But that's not the way we want to be, any of us as Canadians. And so I think the right thing to do is understand that the university exists for a purpose, which is to open minds and to teach. And for that to work best, It should not be that any longer we think of the teacher as having uncontrolled leadership of the classroom. What the teacher should do is try and work the way we try to work in Canadian society all the time, by consent as much as possible. My guess is uh, 
that if the instructor here had handled the question with delicacy, explaining what the word was, explaining why it mattered, seeking consent for it to be used for a limited purpose, expressing sympathy with the black students who might be offended, it may have been possible to conduct the discussion in a way where everyone learned and people didn't get angry and the bad feelings that resulted did not result. I mean, she could have had this conversation about any word and it could have been a word, uh, uh, a degrading word to, uh, you know, describe a woman that women have taken back. I don't know that we would have seen the pushback. I don't think we would have. I think you're right. I think, you know, the, the N word has, has a special resonance particularly this year because of Black Lives Matter. And that does have a certain amount of revolutionary force behind it. As with all things that possess revolutionary force, at all times in history, there is good to this, but there is also danger to it. Okay. This professor discovered the danger. Let me ask you this, though. Why then... If it's, uh, you know, a dangerous word, if it's a word that is meant to demean, which we do know, and to minimize and dehumanize some people, um, why would the university not outright ban the use of the word? Is that a misstep? Because they're going so far as to suspend a, a professor that has already apologized for using it, but used it in a way that they felt was within context. My own feelings on this word are, I prefer it not to be used except in extremely limited circumstances. And it really ought to be based on the willingness of black people who might be in the conversation to have it used, whether that willingness is there. But isn't that the whole teacher's, the whole teacher's, sorry, I just have to interject because this is really interesting. I'm trying to get to the heart of this, but the teacher's whole, um, uh, uh, lecture was based on what you just said. I wasn't there, Kelly. Yeah, you weren't. No, no, and neither was I. Neither was I. I'm just saying that it was it was based on putting in that context of having uh, someone within that community use it and kind of, uh, and and that's what they were trying. That's what the teacher was trying to point out. Now, I I agree. I, I would never have said the word. I I might have said the N word. You know, chosen to be safe. But in that case, I still feel even icky saying that. So I don't think I, I think I would have avoided the, that word and chose a different word. But are you surprised that 34 professors have come to her defense? I am. I, I think that the way they came to her defense leaves much to be desired. Look, I defend academic freedom. Freedom of expression is fundamental to our society, including in universities. But I'm also troubled by the word because I've been called that word. I'm not white, mm-hmm. I'm not black either, but I've been called that word usually preceded by the word sand. And you can put the two together wow. in your yeah, mind. Yeah. And, sure. and what, what I feel is that to be Canadian, we must respect freedom of expression. We must respect that right, but we must also be good enough human beings, big enough human beings to understand that with every right, there comes a responsibility. And if one uses a right irresponsibly, one uses it in a way that injures others, one can't be too surprised at the backlash. Right. And the right right is, you know, you're being put in charge. You're being put in charge of this class. 
you, you are uh, being charged with imparting your wisdom. Use it wisely. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So whether or not the professor had the right to use the word to me is not the question. Of course, the right to speech is constitutionally protected, even if it's offensive, as long as it doesn't counsel outright hatred and violence. But at the same time, one's freedom of expression, which is a shield, as I've just described it, can also be manipulated into being a sword that hurts others. And a responsible person will not do that. Rights are tricky things. They can be a shield and a sword at the same time. And I feel that this professor obviously ended up on the wrong side of that. But I feel that the 34 professors who signed a letter viewing it only as a shield are very narrow-minded and wrong in their perspective. Okay, let me ask you this. The professor has been suspended. Do you think that that was the right move? They did apologize and they opened discussion to any students that wanted to talk to them. I understand that she's back at work. And that seems to me a fine decision as long as the students who do not want to learn from her are given an alternative. And I understand that they have been. And I'm very sympathetic to those students who simply want nothing to do with her at this point. Okay, so the update is that she's been called back. That's what I'm told. Okay. Well, I'm happy we had John because I like that that we've got the update from you. Amir, thanks so much for uh, providing some insight into this. It's, uh, it, it is a complex topic. And I think I'm going to open up the phones and get your reaction to it at 416-870-6400. Amir, thanks so much for joining us. Have a good day, Kelly. Take care. Cheers. You too. All right. This should be an interesting conversation. Because do you think it was in bad judgment for this teacher to use that particular word in class? She could have uh, said the N-word. She didn't have to say the entire word. She could have chosen another word to illustrate her point. And do you agree with the student union? Or are you on the side of these 34 professors in multiple departments that say, you know what, the use of the term can offer educational value and that a classroom is a place for debate. And when we start to censor teachers like this, we're taking away the debate. Or there's just some places you can't go. Uh, Jeff in Brampton, what's your thought here? Hi, Kelly. You know, the problem with this whole story is the fact that 34 professors or faculty staff would decide to sign this letter. See, what has been going on for a long time at these universities is racial animus has been prevalent at these universities for a long time. This new batch of students that they have is not going to stand for that. This is not something that happened last week. This is the culmination of something that has been happening for a long time. So we have to first deal with racism, the systemic racism in these institutions, because this that is happening with the students it's just a symptom of what they've been feeling for a long time. Everywhere you go, there's a racial overtone. You go to the dorm, you go to the cafeteria, you go to your classroom. There's racial overtones everywhere. So now that word is just like the, the spark that sets the, the, the forest ablaze. We have to deal with systemic racism or these things are not going to go away. And this generation that we have now is not the generation we grew up with. They are not accepting this kind of thing. Look what's going on in, in, in Nova Scotia. These things are going to blow up because for years, 
systemic racism have been allowed to permeate every aspect of, of our society. And now, now these kids are not taking it. And Jeff, will you agree that um, academia is changing, that, that students now are, are saying this has got to be an exchange between myself and the teacher? Yes. And the faster we get to it and stop dancing around it, like these 34 professors have signed this letter, the faster we get to it is the better off we're going to be. We cannot allow the old systems to remain in place and just close our eyes as, as though it's not existing. This thing is All right. going to blow up like a bomb, and we have to deal with it now. Well, I think it did blow up like a bomb after this woman's Zoom class, that's for sure. I appreciate the call, Jeff. Hey, Kyle in Toronto. How do you view this? Because Amir Adaran, who's a professor at the University of Ottawa, was he was approached to sign this letter. 34 of his colleagues did, and he said, you know, I don't really feel comfortable with it. I'm going to step away from that. And that academia is changing. It's about making the students feel safe and uh, having, uh, you know, an exchange between teacher and student. It's not like when we were lectured at anymore. Oh, uh, geez. Yeah, I, I had a point, but I think I just forgot it. But I boiled it <laughs> down to something better. Quentin okay. Tarantino's most successful movie has, uses the N-word quite liberally and, and nobody goes after him, you know. So maybe I don't think these teachers should be allowed to have an infatuation with the word like like uh, Hollywood people do because they can get away with it. But anyway, it, it, like. But Kyle, I wonder, you know, you just back. brought that up and you just made me wonder because when Quentin Tarantino I, talks about it, um, I think when he talks about it, it's usually a black character saying the word, isn't it? So yeah, I wonder were, if the teacher was black, and I don't know what color, like, I don't know what her ethnicity is, but I'm guessing she's probably not black. But if she was black, I wonder if it would have actually been more acceptable, because I'm guessing she was white. Well, it's, it's <laughs> the whole situation's hypocritical, because I, I grew up with hip-hop, and I felt it a little hypocritical, too, that it was the, the only albums I couldn't sing along with were rap, rap music. Everything else was fair game, but it's like, yeah, and you know, the, that word had really no power 20 years ago and it seems to like because nobody used it i i never heard of it until mark twain in all right appreciate the call uh mark in st Catharines. we go from a reference to mark twain to mark in st Catharines. welcome to the show how's it going it's going okay so what's your take on this story in the university of ottawa because i think it's a difficult one it depends on where you're coming from well i i think that the, the idea of context absolutely needs to apply here and I don't understand why in a university classroom it would have to be pre-stated to the class and ask permission to discuss a word in an educational context. Like, it's, it's got to be assumed to be educational. Why is there an assumed, hey, nobody was called this word. Nobody That's was referenced as this person. It's just a word. It's letters on paper. Like any other offensive word out there, there should be no special, you know, rights given to this word over others sure it can okay so mark are you speaking to what you're speaking to here i think is intent yeah absolutely if if this person is is literally just talking about it in a way that is trying to educate and better what how can you take offense to that and if you do that's that's your problem again there's no right to not be offended in this world and this is a perfect example of that appreciate the call hey robert in etobicoke I'm, I'm absolutely outraged, and I think it's such a, a fantastic topic because the, the person that just spoke is hitting the nail on the head. Logic has to prevail over emotion, especially in an institute of higher learning. 
the the law professor that you had on, I, I'm I'm in shock. I'm outraged at him, and even the fact that he was saying that so many of his other colleagues are opposing the the support that these other teachers were giving this professor. The context has everything to do with it. You need to have that word. It's like, you know, there was an amazing book, uh, Underground to Canada, that had a huge influence on my life and who I became as a person. It shaped me. There's a scene of a young girl getting raped, and she was a slave, and she was black. They used the N-word. They were very graphic about the rape. If they took that away, I wouldn't be the person who I am today. There's a lot of uh, examples. How does that, that, how does that scene shape you in a book? How did it change me? Oh, yeah. equality for every human on the planet. My so that was life, moving to you. You thought, okay, this is awful. This is the, you, It you allowed mean, you to see what it would have been like back then in a situation like that. You need to understand the passion and the emotion used in the event or in the use of a word. Like Denzel Washington reclaimed the word, right, for himself, and a lot of rap artists have. But the whole word, that word is not reclaimed by the whole planet. So that we don't know how many words the teacher used. She might have had 20 words. She might have had a, a different context. Are you talking about Hitler? Wasn't in the lecture. Jews? You're right. Have it, didn't hear the whole thing. It'd be interesting to go back and, and see if there is a record of the, the lecture. How can you teach without using that word? How can you? You're, you're... Oh, I think you can. Oh, come on. You can teach without using that word. It's very easy. to t- I, Teachers do it all the time or we'd be talking about this on a daily basis. That's where you lost me. That and Denzel Washington's rap. Chris, are you familiar with Denzel Washington uh, throwing down a good rap here and there? No? Okay, me neither. No, All right, not, we're going to... Not myself, should, but... Uh, should I let Stephen Richmond Hill have I'd the like last word? It. Yeah, let's go to Steve. Okay, because if I didn't, then i blame it on you. If you said, nope, Steve's not talking, then Steve, I'd blame it on Chris. But um, he says go, so go ahead, Steve. Your phone is where? <laughs> Hello, Steve, sorry. what's happening with your phone? Oh, no, it's okay now. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, thanks That's for okay. taking my call. I'm um, a teacher here in uh, Richmond Hill, and um, i got to tell you that I feel as if the whole education system has been gutted and hijacked by uh, the politically correct. When was it our job as an educator to make the kids happy and to always have them agree, agree with us? Our job principally is to educate kids, let them make up their own decisions, give them the proper historical relevance, give them the proper facts. And I'm astounded at this law professor with what he, he had said. You're gutting the education of kids. You're not preparing them for the real world. People's emotions and feelings get hurt. His argument was the real world is changing, though, Steve, and that we should be having conversations in the classroom that echo the way we want to live in Canada. Okay, well, perhaps you want to echo the way we want to live in Canada. Uh, well, how about living in the global world? How about living in um, societies where people can stand up for themselves, where people don't buckle and fold under the most minuscule uh, disagreement or uh, feeling or emotion they get? Because this is what we're pre- pre- this is what we're preparing kids for. Look, Steve, I hear you. And I think your argument, I I think there are points of your argument that are really bang on because I I will tell you this. I've worked with some very young uh, millennials. And in one instance at work, someone got insulted by something I said, which was off the cuff, uh, just a quick comment. And it was really nothing. Like, honestly, uh, we kind of went through it. But my boss had to come and talk to me about it. And I'm like, what? Then later, this same person who I kind of avoided 
for a bit because she was extremely sensitive about this stuff. Later, uh, as it turns out, she kind of apologized for being so sensitive. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You got to make sure that you uh, take stock of your emotions, but make sure that you think things through before you you go running to someone saying, I have been offended because it actually does have repercussions on people. And and that's just something I think the sensitivity of this new generation, they might be overly sensitive and that could be problematic for everyone. Chris? It, it should be noted that what your 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 issue with the student was not the, sexual uh, had nothing to do with sexual and nothing to do with race it was high. or anything like that <laughs> but say hi um, to a friend think, for me will you yeah. i hear you know them <laughs> but anyway the issue i think that the p- professor is trying to teach this uh story or teach this lesson about words offensive words that have been taken back and i don't think there is another better example of it i think amir adaran you know put it pretty clearly, you know, to use your judgment and make sure that you put up sort of a, a big red flag before you say it. Yeah. I'm going to use a word. I think you all know what it is in the discussion, and I hope you're all okay with it. So It's that a disclaimer. Just, I, it's a freaking disclaimer just, yeah. at the beginning of your... I, and, and I think that if you wanted to say the N-word instead of using the whole word, no one would fault you for it. There almost is, and maybe the teacher was going for it, a bit of a shock in using it. Mm. Um, and maybe that was part of her teaching lesson. Obviously, it would have backfired, but I think that that's where you know we, we dance around. And I think that to say that word... And I don't even like saying it. The context, the fact that you and I don't want to say it on the radio says that a professor I like my job. careful about using I it I like on my the job. I will dance around some words. I'm not going to use that word. I never use it. And I don't feel comfortable with it. It's a Nikki word. I don't like There are a couple of words I don't feel comfortable with. In my mouth. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't say it because I just, I, I do believe it's a hurtful word. Uh, that said, I can see up. I can see multiple sides of this story, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. Well, that's it for the Kelly Cotrera podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I always appreciate your time. And if you have some time between 9 and noon, weekdays, Monday through Friday, we broadcast live on 640 Toronto.